glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, stand with me now, if you would. As we begin to say in John chapter 6, the context is the people wanted more bread, and they're asking about the Lord Jesus and inquiring of him. And if you listen to John 6, he is rebuking them for wanting physical bread but not wanting spiritual bread. Uh, But the Bible says in verse 31, Our fathers, these are the Jewish people speaking to the Lord Jesus, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, let's just pause. They're thinking what? Physical or spiritual? Physical. And he is thinking spiritual. Just like the woman at the well, she said, give me water. He meant, I want to give you eternal life for your soul. She meant, give me another drink of water. Nicodemus, same thing. He's thinking physical birth, the Lord speaking spiritual birth. And so we'd be wise to take note of that. Verse uh, 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 38, For I came down from heaven... Not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, if you would, verse 48, Jesus repeats it again. I am that bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now back to Exodus 16. If you would please just for another minute or two remain standing. We'll read verses 1 through 15. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now the last time they accused him of trapping them to be killed by the Egyptian army. And they did that because there weren't graves in Egypt. That was the last accusation before the parting in the Red Sea. Verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread for you, from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at even, Then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord." 
And Moses spake unto Aaron, say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said, uh, uh, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to give us seven things this morning. It's a a simple but uh, a bit of a different message for, for myself. But I just want to focus in on the manna and give seven things this morning that we find about the manna that show us a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, of course, there's an application to us. And again, if we're saved this morning, this should encourage us as we see a portrait of the Lord in the Bible, even as the Lord Jesus likened himself to the serpent that was lifted up on the pole. One of the messages we'll see in this series. Here, he had likened himself, as we read earlier in John 6, to the bread that came down from heaven. He said, I am the true bread. In essence, it's this. How many of you know if you eat physical bread today, you're going to have to eat some more tomorrow, and then we'll eat bread until one day we'll get sick and we'll die. So eating food doesn't heal you ultimately, but it does sustain life while we're on earth. So anytime God draws a type, there are perfect similarities, and then there are what you'd call uh, diversities in that type. And so it's just a type. It's a picture of the Lord and the Lord Jesus says as that manna was in the wilderness God gave you bread from heaven I am the true bread meaning that manna is a picture and a type of me and the first thing I want us to see this morning is in giving this bread the provision of the manna the provision itself is a likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ remember where the bread came from you remember the the children of Israel are hungry they're saying we're out here to die in the wilderness and the Bible says that God gave them bread from Heaven, it, it fell like dew or fell with the dew. The dew came. It's always hard to, to describe. Does dew fall? Does it rise? Where does it come from? But the Bible says the manna or the bread came from heaven. Uh, if, you, if you study manna, it's very interesting. They could boil it and seethe it and bake it like bread, but in the evening it melted. Now that's curious to me. Meaning it had a very unique and... Um, different kind of a composition. I don't think um, scientifically we could explain it because it came from heaven, meaning the provision of the manna was a miracle. It was a miracle. God was proving to them, I, I can step outside of natural means to care for you. He's the creator. He is the savior. And this is thus why it's in the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How many of us know, from the standpoint of bread eating, it is impossible to go 40 days without food or water and live. And yet we have accounts of three men, including and especially our Savior in the Bible, doing it. Those three men would meet on the Mount of Transfiguration. Of course, that's Moses and Elijah and then the Lord Jesus Christ. All three fasted 40 days and God sustained them. How? 
it was a miracle. I do not recommend fasting 40 days. The only way I would say do it is if you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that through the scripture God has confirmed that's what he's told you to do, then do it. (laughs) Otherwise, naturally, you can't survive it. But those three men did as proof man doesn't live just naturally. It's not just the body. Man is not merely a body. How many of us know that concept is spreading broad and large among our culture in America that you know what? We're just a body. When I die, man, I just go in the dirt. You can believe that if you want, but when you die, you'll find that's not true. The Lord Jesus went to great lengths, including saying, I am the true bread. You need what I'm going to do for you or you'll utterly perish. Your body will die and go on the ground. But if your spirit goes into eternity dead, you'll go to the place of the dead, then it's into hellfire. Many people say, everyone, the soul is eternal, it will live forever. Not exactly true. The soul will exist forever. Some live and some die. Hell is not a place of life, it's a place of death. And what I'm trying to say to you this morning is Jesus Christ said, I am the true bread. And just as God provided manna in the wilderness, he did so because the people had a need. Amen? He did so because they had a need. If they didn't get food, they were going to perish. They would die. John 3, 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Christ here to kill us all, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent us unto the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved, that we might have life, Jesus said. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God rained bread from heaven in order to, to save the physical lives of these people. But I, here's what I want us to focus on. If you were God and you had already plagued Pharaoh in Egypt with ten plagues, you had killed all the firstborn in Egypt except that of Israel, having provided them a way to have their sins dealt with so that they could be pardoned and the firstborn passed over. You brought them out. You had the Egyptians give them much good so they could leave wealthy instead of poor. When they came to the Red Sea and they grumbled, you part the Red Sea for them. When they come to bitter water and they grumble, you make it sweet for them. You give them a place of rest and they're still doubting you. When they grumbled for bread, what would you do? i tell you what I would do. Fend for yourself, you complainers. If you're, if you're ungrateful, fine. Find your way back to Egypt and just go right back across the Red Sea on your own. Here's what I want us to see. Why did God give them bread from heaven? Because they deserved it or because God is good? It's called grace. God rained bread from heaven not because they deserved it. They deserved to starve in the wilderness for not trusting him. They deserve to starve for their ingratitude, just like you and I deserve to perish for our sin. How many times has God cared for us? How many times has God spoken to us? How many times has God shown us His mercy? How many times has He proven to us He can be trusted till the next time we don't trust Him again? If you're unsaved this morning, that ought to bring some reproof to someone to say, God is not the one at fault. When it comes to the relationship between God and humanity, God is not the one at fault. He is righteous. God is good. God is good 100% of the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year. From the day you're born to the day you die, God is good. God had proven that to the children of Israel, and yet they're still not murmuring against Moses, murmuring against God. They were saying, yeah, you did bring us out. Yes, you got us across the Red Sea. 
but you just did so we would starve out here. They're not only accusing God of not taking care of them, they're accusing God of intentionally trying to kill them. You with me? Why would he do this? Why would he do this after to start? And so we see the, the grumbling of the people because of their need, but then you see the grace of God in that God still provided even though they had murmured. Was God blessing their murmuring or was God being gracious? God was being gracious. He was giving them what they do not deserve. What does Romans 5, 8 say about when God sent the bread down from heaven? But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many people were grateful at the foot of the cross for what Jesus was doing for them? No. <laughs> Some recognized who he was. The centurion said, surely this was the son of God. Even he thinking it's done. He's gone now. Mary, his mother, is there weeping. A sword pierced through her own soul. John the Apostle is there, broken-hearted. But who was there saying, Lord, thank you for what you're doing for us? On this day in John chapter 6, Jesus had fed thousands of people with bread that he by miracle created, proving he is the one who gave man in the wilderness. He made bread, and that bread gave... It was the whole purpose of that miracle of feeding the thousands was to confirm that he was the Christ not so people could have another meal, but so they could believe on him and have life eternal. And they missed it. How many today want to use Jesus Christ for the same purpose? I don't realize that he is of eternal value. The reason I need Christ is I'm going to perish. He is here to give me eternal life, not a better life. Many want to be Christians because it's the better life. If you're a good Christian, you'll have a better job. If you're a good Christian, you can do better at meeting your needs. If you're a good Christian, you'll have a better family life. If you're a good Christian, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. He did not come to just give us a better life. He came to give us eternal life. Amen? And the only thing that makes this life worth living is knowing where you're going in eternity. Otherwise, this is what Solomon said, vanity. Vanity of vanities. Why spin your wheels and waste your time building something you're going to lose when you breathe your last breath? But if you know where you're going in eternity because you've eaten the bread of life, that's different. So we see that the manna is a type of Christ in its provision. Where it came from, it came down from heaven. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, being found in likeness as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point of those verses is God in the flesh came down as a servant and dwelt among us. You notice what they said when they found this? They called it what? Manna. How many of us know what that means? It means what is it? Seriously. The word manna means what is it? If you study John 6, you know what they're trying to find out of Jesus? Who are you? That's what they ask him in John 7. Who are you? We know when Messiah cometh, that we won't know where he came from, which is not true. Then they turned around and said, well, he can't be Messiah because we know where he came from. People are funny. One of my favorite statements in the world. People are funny. It's code for, ah, we people. <laughs> huh? 
My point is this. When the children of Israel saw the manna, they couldn't identify it. It wasn't like any other bread. When, the, when Jesus came into his own, his own received him not. They couldn't identify him. They thought that he would come as a royal king. They thought he would come like this or come like this. They thought they would know exactly what the Messiah would come like. When he came, he was plain. You know, it's just like a little wafer. There's nothing extravagant about this. It's a small round thing. Insignificant. When the Lord Jesus came, the Bible said he had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him, Isaiah 53 says. Meaning you didn't see Jesus. There was no halo. There was no glow about him. There wasn't this sign that said, wow, he's the one. He just was a plain, common man by appearance. But when you heard him speak, the soldiers in John 7 said, no man ever spake as this man. Never yet man spake as this man speaketh. It's like when you read your Bible. You tell me you've ever read a book that reads like this book. And I'll go toe-to-toe with you and say, if you say you've ever read a book like a Bible, you're deceived. There's no book on earth like this book. The wisest book of science or the philosophy cannot touch the Scripture. There's no book like this one that will read you. (laughs) Amen. It's the Word of God. And so the point this morning is this. The provision of the manna is a picture and type of Christ. It came down from heaven to meet the, the needs physically for them, but the application is spiritual for us. The needs of those men, lest they die in the wilderness, God sent bread to save them. God sent Jesus to save us. That's the first likeness. Number two, not only is the manna like the Lord Jesus in its provision, it was sent down from heaven, a miraculous uh, substance that the people did not recognize when they saw, yet it was given by the grace of God in spite of the grumbling of the people. Not only we see the provision, but the preciousness, verse 21. The Bible says, And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. How many of you know that you do not have forever to make a decision concerning Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Meaning there was a season for gathering. There was a season and a time that it was provided. And I understand they got it every day. And I believe there's a twofold application. The sinner is not going to be given grace and mercy forever. Purgatory is a false teaching that gives men false hope. You're not going to die and get a second chance after you die to get saved. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's, there's a season. We have this life to, to make a decision concerning Christ, and we must beware. I'd be very careful when I'm going to preach right here, but it's a Bible truth. When men harden themselves against God, there comes a point where God hardens men against himself. There's a point where God, Romans 1 says, turns people over to a reprobate mind. There's a point where we resist to the point of, of searing the conscience. We read that in 1 Timothy, I believe it is, or 2 Timothy. That man can sear his conscience, meaning there is a point where if a person resists the gospel, he may not have another season or opportunity to receive the bread of life. In John chapter 6, the Bible says, Many departed from the Lord Jesus and followed him no more. They rejected the bread of God, the bread from heaven. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 36, John 3, 36, there's great hope and great warning in this verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If your personal heartfelt trust, sincere heart trust is in Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. When I speak of the preciousness of this bread, 
it was provided at a time and you had to gather it when it was provided or you weren't going to get it. May I say this? We are living in a period of time that the Bible itself calls the dispensation of the grace of God. The dispen- That's a Bible word. The dispensation of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul references it. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 6 describes it this way. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Many times that verse is used in reference to a 24-hour period. And what I, I would agree that if you're hearing the gospel today and you've never let the Lord Jesus Christ save you, this is the day you have. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You can't go back to yesterday. But 2 Corinthians 6, 1 is also speaking of the time frame in which we live of God extending forgiveness of sin to men by His grace when we don't deserve it. How many of us know when the Lord returns, this dispensation ends? Turn with me if you would to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians verse many times may be explained away, but it's fairly plain in its declaration. Second Thessalonians. The Bible says in um, verse 7 of chapter 1, And you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And if you look over in chapter 2, similar words are given when the Bible says, talking about the Antichrist, the beast, if you would, the wicked that he's recalled in uh, verse 8. It says in verse uh, 10, the Bible says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, let me back up verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, and signs and lying wonders. That's how this wicked one, the beast, will operate during the tribulation period. And it says, verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'm in and, and, and stressing and trying to emphasize this morning that there is a season of opportunity to receive the salvation God has provided us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a person may say, I have heard that I'm a sinner and that only Jesus can save me and that my sins separate me from God. And I've heard all of that and I'll think about that, but I'm not, what's the next word people say? Ready. The most foolish things a person can do is when they've understood the gospel and their need for Christ to save them, to say, not today, not today. I'm not, I am against pressing people to try to get them to make a decision. I'm also against failing to warn people that if we make the wrong decision, we'll perish. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, you're trying to persuade people to trust Jesus Christ. You better believe it. That's my job. That's your job if you're saved. If God wants them saved, he'll save them. That is so anti-biblical. God uses us to warn others. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We what? Persuade men. Not persuade against their will. Use the truth to persuade men. God has provided salvation in Christ. And there is a likeness that this bread was available, but not ever available. Not always available. There's a day of wrath coming, a day of judgment coming for the child of God. 
I believe there's this likeness. Proverbs 8, 17 says of wisdom, wisdom personified. I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me. That's a Bible truth. Psalm 63, I believe it's verse 1. The Bible says, um, let me turn there. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. There is a season for receiving what the Lord has. Either Christ is your Savior, or I believe there's a practical application. Christ has daily bread for you and I. He is the daily bread that gives us strength as Christians to serve Him. You don't get into your day and say, oh, what about the Lord? No, but seek ye when? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Can I give a secondary application? And all I'm doing, I'm just saying, there's some application to this as far as wisdom is concerned. You that are in your youth, if you say, you know, when I get to be older, I'll be serious about the Lord, then I hope that's not the mindset of our youth this morning, because early will I seek Him. Early, early in the day, early in life, not late. You know what happens? You say, I'll seek the Lord. Right now I'm young. I have some things I want to do. And I've gone through this before. But then you get in your adulthood and you say, you know, I'd love to seek the Lord now, but I'm providing for family and I'm working and trying to just live life and take care of things. Maybe when I get to my middle-aged years, middle-aged years, boy, I'm awful tired. I don't have time to seek the Lord. When you're old now, I'm no use to Him. <laughs> it's always an excuse not to seek the Lord. And by that I mean the Lord has initiated contact with us. He sent His Son into the world. May I put it this way? God provided the bread, but the people had to go get it. Truth? It was a gift from God, but He didn't cram it down their throats. Any, let me ask you this. If I said, Adeline, you're going to eat a Snickers bar. Do you like Snickers bars? Are they your favorite? What's your least favorite candy bar? Is there such a thing? How could it be you could have a least favorite candy bar? But I want her to eat a Snickers bar. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the whole thing and shove it in her mouth. Isn't that a nice gift? God doesn't work that way, does he? You know what? He gave Jesus Christ the bread of life. But then he said, come. And if we won't come, we can't have him. Amen? He said, come unto me. Come unto me. If any man thirsts, let him take the water of life freely. God, the point there is this. Taking it is not a work. Coming is not a work. It's responding to His work. It's saying, I am willing to accept what you've offered. It is receiving what He's given. So, the bread from heaven, in its provision, it's a type of Christ. In its preciousness, it was provided for a period of time, but then it was no longer available. Number three, in its procurement, I've just stated this. Look back at John chapter 6. In the way it had to be procured, God put the bread on the ground but the people had to go and accept it and gather it. Again, not a picture of works, because the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, plural, lest any man should perish. But look, listen to what Jesus says. In John chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 29, let me back up to verse 28, or even to verse 27. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Don't work and exhaust yourselves, you're trying to get physical bread, physical meat. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, then said they unto him, What shall we do? So you said labor for the meat that, that, that gives eternal life. What shall we do that we might work the works, plural, of God? Look at verse 29. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work, singular of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John chapter 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What if you were in your tent and they said, Hey, God provided breakfast today. Someone says, Well, what is it? And they said, That's what we called it. What is it? <laughs> we don't know. But there it is on the ground. Manna. They said, well, I don't know what it is. If until I know what it is, I won't eat it. What's that person going to do? They're going to starve. Until you can prove to me that it won't kill me, that it actually came from God. Prove to me that it came from God, then I'll think about eating it. That's what they were doing in Jesus' day. You know what? You know how you know when people accepted the gift of God, the manna, they went out and picked it up, put it in their bucket, brought it in, and... They accepted what God provided. God has only provided one Savior for mankind. It's the only one he'll ever provide. And that is Jesus Christ. God came down to man in the person of Jesus Christ. And the only way to procure life is to accept him into our hearts and souls as you would put bread in your body. Except you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Unless you receive the broken Savior who died in your place for your sins and accept His shed blood as the atoning price for your sins, except you say, Lord, I partake of you, not in a physical sense, not in a, some transubstantiation, but the words that I speak unto you said are spirit and their life. When we receive Him, receive what He's done for us, He gives us life. The procurement is God has provided, we accept. It had to be, it had to be willing on the part of those grumblers to receive the bread God had provided. They had, to, they had to, by faith, act upon His grace before they could receive the benefit of it. So the provision tells us of Christ. The preciousness tells us of Christ. The procurement, how they obtained it, tells us of Christ. That He came, but we must receive the proof of this bread. This is very interesting to me. you notice what God said in Exodus chapter 16, verse 6? Through Moses. The Bible says in, uh, in Exodus 16, Uh, verse 5, And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and in it shall be, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt, and in the morning uh, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings against us. And what are we that ye murmur against us? Uh, And then uh, if if you see in verse 20, the Bible says, Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses wroth of them. God says here that he gave, let me back up to verse 4, Exodus 16. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may, what? Prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. God said, I'm going to give you manna, and with that manna is going to come some law. You can only gather so much per day. So don't, don't try to be greedy and gather for multiple days. And then on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much so you don't have to go out and gather on the seventh day. And he said, I'm giving them this bread. It was not only to provide for them, but it was also to prove them. Meaning, I'm going to prove whether they are law-abiding, God-fearing people or not. And I read verse 20 to prove. Guess what it proved? They were not. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus is coming to the world a light into the world? You know what he does? He proves what man is. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, his righteous life, his righteous death, 
and His resurrection proves that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what the manna from heaven proved? He said, God said, I'm going to give it to prove them whether they'll walk in my law or not. What did they do? The Bible says they gathered too much and let it go to the morning and it bred worms, meaning there was a picture of sin and its corrupting influence. God said, I'm going to provide you enough for a day and I want to see if you'll obey me. Will you trust me and obey my law by faith and just gather enough for the day? You know what they were, you know what I believe they were doing? They said, well, what if there's no bread tomorrow? Unbelief always breeds sin. We, well, what if God doesn't keep giving? I know he said he would give it every day, but what if he doesn't? We better lay up in store. There's nothing wrong with preparing like the ant does. That's not what they were doing. God specifically told them no more than this amount. Why? To prove them. So we're not preaching against this morning having you know, cans of vegetables on your shelf. That's not what God's saying, unless he told you not to. I would say this, if you're laying up on earth because you fear for tomorrow, then it's sin. Take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. What specifically was God speaking of when he said, take no thought for the morrow? Food and shelter and clothing. Food and clothing. That's what the context was. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. So I'm saying this, if we're like the ant saying we have a season of fruitfulness like Joseph in Egypt, we're going to lay aside while we're bearing fruit, so we'll have, when we know, we know there's something else coming. That's one thing, that's wisdom, but if it is, I don't know if God will take care of me tomorrow, so I better really work hard today because I fear about tomorrow. Fear-driven, unbelief-based lives breed corruption. The manna from heaven proved where their hearts were. These were not a trusting people, they were an unbelieving people. They were a people that though God had promised to give them bread daily, they said, I just don't know. We better gather extra today because we don't know if he'll provide tomorrow. Huh. Something. Is Christ enough? Those whose, let's, let's apply this spiritually. Those that say, I know that Christ is enough to save me today, but boy, I better work to keep it. Breeds corruption. Is Christ the giver of life or are you and I the giver of life? Do we rest in him or not? See, that's the other part. The first part was don't gather more than you need for the day. I'll give you the same amount tomorrow. But then on on the sixth day, it seemed like he was contradicting himself because I said, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you enough for two days. Because on the seventh day, what do you want them doing? Resting as a picture of how we rest in Christ, meaning we take him at his word and we rest on his promise. And so the manna was to prove them, to, to show and demonstrate what they were made of. Again, John chapter 1. We won't take time to read it, but verses 8 through 10. I do want to take time to read it. John 1, and then we'll move along and get finished here. John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Jesus is referred to as the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John chapter 1, speaking, it says of John the Baptist, he was not that light, verse 8, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And then John chapter 3, uh, verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be re proved, convinced to be errant and sinful. But he that doeth the truth, he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You'll find 
in the account of Exodus 16. Not only was there a gathering more in the evening than they were supposed to, there was another time when men went out on the Sabbath day and gathered. Why? They didn't trust. They didn't trust. And this morning, our salvation is by trust in the provision God has made for us, and that is Jesus Christ. Our part is trust in him, and we see that symbolized in the proving of the man. It proved that they were lawbreakers. It proved they needed a Savior. It proved that God was righteous and they were not. You know what Christ came into the world and did? Proved that all men are sinners and only God is righteous, and we can only be made righteous by faith in him. So we see the typology and the provision of the manna, the preciousness, the procurement of it, how it was obtained, the proof that it gave. It proved that men were sinners and lawbreakers and that God is righteous. The purity of this manna is symbolized in its color, Exodus 16, uh, 31. The Bible says, verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. We'll come back to that verse here in a minute. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed. What color? White. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What color is a precious little lamb? We see him as white because that symbolizes innocence and purity And time would fail to go through all the scripture that tells us of the sinless purity of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, He knew no sin, in Him was no sin, He did no sin, He is without sin. Christ is spotless and sinless. This white man is a picture of the sinless perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ and why He is the bread from heaven to give salvation to us. Not only the purity of this bread seen in its white color, but the pleasantness of it. Verse 31 tells us, again, it says, Uh, uh, that it was like coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Honey. Psalm 19.10 tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting this soul. It's sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We'll read that. Psalm 19, uh, verse 10. I'll get there in just a moment. Psalm 19.10. More to be desired are they than gold, speaking of the judgments of the Lord, yea, yea, than much fine gold, Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He said, I came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. He is the law of the Lord fulfilled, and he is sweet to the taste. He is honey in the rock, is he not? So the manna being sweet to the taste is a type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is altogether lovely, the Bible says. He went about doing good. There's nothing There's nothing bitter to the taste in the person of Jesus Christ other than the bitterness of our sin that he has to deal with. My point is this, that in the sweetness of its taste, it's a type of the word of God written and personified in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the product of the manna from heaven. You notice, as we said before, God said, I gave it to prove them. When they accepted the manna as it was given to them, as it was given, you know what it did? It produced in them, if they would accept it by faith, If they would say, we trust God's word, that the manna will be provided and that it's sufficient, it produced righteousness in their lives. You know what? They, through unbelief, were greedy and fearful and unbelieving. But God said, if you believe in what I've given you, gather enough for the day and know that when tomorrow comes, I'll take care of you on that day. Again, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You know what the product of reception of Jesus Christ is in our life? He produces righteousness in us. 
This manna was given from heaven to teach these people, number one, you are unlawful, but if you will by faith submit to my provision, I will make you lawful. (laughs) You'll live a contented life instead of a discontented life. Isn't that interesting? Here they were grumbling about being hungry, and God said, I'm not going to let you gather more than you need. What's he trying to teach them? Be content with such things as you have, for I have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God wants our contentment not to be found in how much we have, but in who we have. Can I say that again? The Lord wants our contentment to be found not in what we have, but in who we have, and more importantly, in who has us. Is Christ living today or no? Is He a living, loving... He is the shepherd and bishop of our souls this morning. Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth, but sometimes we're not. We ought to be the most contented people on earth because, friend, we know how it all ends for us if we believe God. What robs us of our joy and what robs us of our peace is the same thing that robbed these people of their joy and their peace. They did not believe God concerning the sustaining work of His provision. We have something better than manna on the ground in the morning. We have Christ, the living, eternal Son of God, dwelling in our hearts. That's not theory, it's not fable, it's not myth, it's fact for the child of God. And we ought to say, friend, I can take on anything because I can do all... I don't mean a sense of invincibility or arrogance. I mean not being daunted and thrown by the wickedness of this world. We have the one who will sustain us. He does. He is life and he is abundant life. And so this morning, the product of their reception of this... If they believed God, it was going to shore up their lives, produce contentment instead of discontentment, produce satisfaction instead of greed. You know what God was doing in the way He provided? He was dealing with what produced the murmuring in their lives. They didn't believe God and they weren't appreciative for what He provided when He did provide. So God said, I'm going to provide something that is going to reveal the sin that's in you and when you accept what I've provided, it will cure you of what you've got going on. Jesus Christ is the conqueror of our sin. Is he not? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans 8, 37. And so this morning, the product was righteousness in a practical way in their lives. Number two, the product was rest. After they had gathered six days, what were they supposed to do? Rest. May I say to you, Sabbath, my boys and I were discussing this this week. Sabbath was instituted as a national it was a sign, the Bible says, in, uh, in I believe it's, it's Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, I believe, or 19, and it repeats that truth again in the book of Ezekiel, a sign between God and the nation of Israel. And Sabbath was not instituted as, a, as an eternal day of worship. It was instituted as a day of rest. We're supposed to worship God every day. Sabbath was not ever implemented as the day for the church to assemble. You'll not find that in your Bible. In, on the Sabbath day, you know what churches were doing? Preaching the gospel to unbelievers in the synagogues. On the first day of the week, they were assembled. You'll find that in Acts chapter 20, where they gathered and heard preaching and prayed and broke bread. My point is this this morning. Sabbath is just like manna. It's a picture and a type of what we have when we rest in Christ. Sabbath was, I can take God at his word so much, I do not have to greedily gather for seven days. I trust God, my creator, enough to, to rest in him. And on this seventh day, the Bible says in verse 29 of Exodus 16, See that for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people did what on the seventh day? Rested on the seventh day. 
know what God's telling them? I don't want you worrying about your food on the seventh day. I want you to demonstrate faith by resting. You're going to rest. I'm going to provide enough for two days on the sixth day, and then in rest in my provision and in my care for your life, you're going to rest on the seventh. Do you think they were tempted to go out on the seventh day and just try to find more? Well, we know they were tempted because some of them did it. But you know what God wants us to do? I've trusted Christ, but what if I'm not saved? I've called on him, and according to the Bible, and I really believe everything the Bible says about him, but what if I'm not saved? Well, did God lie? Is Jesus the bread of God come down from heaven that gives eternal life, or is he not? Can we not rest that he has tended to our soul and that we are eternally secure in him? He did come to give what kind of life? Eternal life. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, to people who are working hard to try to be righteous. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The life of faith is not a life of distress. It's a life of rest. God has provided salvation once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, He that believeth on me shall never hunger. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Question is, the life he has eternal, was it based upon our goodness or on his? Then you know what we need to do? Rest doesn't mean be lazy. In American mind, we think rest means be lazy. Rest means I need to, to take God at his word and just settle in on it. So you know what? I'm, I can have peace. Rest has to do with peace. I'm not distressed. Christ has saved me. Christ is the bread from heaven. I have received him. And he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't think about how you called. Think upon who you called. I'm not saved by the words I called. I'm saved by who I called upon. Amen? And so that's why Paul can say, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Have you put your sin at Christ's feet? Have you put your guilt at Christ's feet? Have you put your trust in him to forgive and pardon your sins? He promised, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you've put your trust in Christ and you're not saved, then he's a liar. And we know he's not a liar. So rest in him. You know what we do? We labor from that rest. In the Old Testament, they rested from their labor. We labor from our rest. Because I know I'm saved, I'm going to work for the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Meaning, we labor from our rest, not rest from our labor. And so this morning, the manna, a picture of Christ, and its provision, its preciousness, its procurement, its proof, its purity, its pleasantness, and then the product in the life of the believer, righteousness and rest. Look, if you would, very quickly in closing, at Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. I believe that's where I want to be. The Bible says in Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness, remember what did Jesus say was the work of God? John 6, 29, what's the work of God? That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What's our part? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not works of righteousness. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You and I can have assurance of our salvation today. But you know what's through? Not faith in yourself, faith in Jesus Christ, the bread that God sent down from heaven to give life to men. The question this morning is not how hard are you working for the bread. The question is have you received the bread that God has provided? He gave you a Savior. Have you put your trust in Him? Have you received Him into yourself by faith? Thank mm-hmm. you.